obviously by the slide, hopefully you know where we're at. We've been there for quite a few weeks, just marching verse by verse, piece by piece through Romans chapter 12. And so we will be in Romans chapter 12 again today. We're going to look simply at one verse. We're going to look at verse 16. So as we turn there, you'll find these similar words. Paul says, as we're under this heading of the marks of a true Christian, the marks of a true believer, we're to take introspect in our own hearts and our own lives, not to look around, not to look on the pew or or nudge the person beside us, but to look in our own hearts and see if we are living up to the standards of which God's word said we're to live. So look with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 16, one verse, but packed full. We'll unpack it though. Paul writes these words, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So as you see here this morning, what a great reminder, what a, uh, just a lot of truths in this one particular verse. And so I want to just kind of give you a quick overview this morning of kind of some things that I saw as I studied and prayed through this particular verse And so as you'll see here, we'll we'll take it chunk by chunk, but here you see what? You see some key words. We see the word harmony, we see the word haughty, and we see this last phrase, never be wise in your own sight. You know, as I marked this down, as I began to work through the text, I was like, okay, God, you know, what is the theme? What do you want me to see? What do we need to see this morning as we go through this text? And, you know, I was like, I love alliteration. You guys know that. So harmony, halty, and I was trying to think of another word. And then I realized about midweek really where the, the gist of this verse lies. And it lies with one word, and that is the word humility. Humility. And so as we see this first part of verse 16, we'll take that live in harmony with one another. And I want to simply ask you this morning, what does it mean to live in harmony? You know, a few weeks ago we talked about unity, but what does it mean to live in harmony with one another? It means to be in agreement. It means to be one accord. No, we're not supposed to be all the same, right? We're, we're all members of the body. We're all created uniquely. We're all made in the image of God. We're all made to do different things. The eye can't do what the foot can. The hand can't do what, you know, uh, whatever else can. The ears can. And so I think this morning as, as we kind of step off into this, and as I've already told you, kind of the big thing, uh, P.O., will you wiggle the uh, mouse? There you go. Hopefully some of y'all are awake now. All right, just like the computer. Um, but as we talked about humility this morning, it kind of being the overarching theme of today's message of having humility. Listen, the first step to harmony is humility. The, the first step to harmony is humility. Where, where do we see this? Well, Paul later, just uh, two cha- uh, three chapters later, he tells us, look here in Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Aren't you thankful this morning that God is a God of endurance, that he doesn't give up on us? But also he's what? He's a God of encouragement. How many of you have come this morning and you need some encouragement? We're going to look to the Lord, right? We, we need more encouragement in 2022. So may the God of endurance and of encouragement grant you to live in such what? Harmony 
with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that what? Together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Harmony. If we're going to have harmony, what does verse 15 say? That we're to be together, that we're to have one voice, that, that we're to be in an agreement, that we're to be in one accord. You know, interestingly, as I was studying and, and, and working through what it meant to live in harmony, interestingly, one of the definitions that I ran across talked about an internal calm. An internal calm. And so I simply wrote these words in my notes. Some things must be settled internally before there can ever be harmony externally. Right? So if we're going to be in harmony with one another, there are going to be things in our lives that we're going to have to settle within us, within our own hearts and our own minds before there is ever unity, before there is ever harmony within the body of Christ. There, there, must, be, there must be that harmony within each of us that we must be seeking those things things. You know, Peter goes on to drive this point home as well. In 1 Peter 3.8, we see, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If there's going to be harmony, what does Peter say? There's got to be a unity of of the mind, but what, look at how he talks about the mind. He says there's unity of mind, but also there's a humble mind. And as believers, there should be sympathy, brotherly love. As as Paul drove that home in chapter twelve, let love. He starts off this section that we've been studying for several weeks. Let love be genuine and a tender heart. I think this morning, as we think through this, you know, what is the goal? What is the goal of harmony? I want to just give you three quick thoughts of what is the goal of harmony. First off, there are three commonalities. There are three common things that we should have when we are seeking harmony within the body. First off, there's a common object. There's a common object, the gospel. There's the cross of Christ. There's the empty tomb. In essence, there's Jesus. So we have to rally around that common object or common person being Christ. It's, it's the gospel. It's Christ and Christ crucified, Christ risen. So that is our common object, our common subject, if you will. Then there is a common hope. If we're going to have harmony within the body, there has to be a common hope. And that hope is what? That, there, that this isn't all there is to life. Right, what you and I see, what you and I have experienced, that is not all that there is. There's heaven. Peter goes on to give us a, a very beautiful picture of what it means to be born again to a living hope. Look into what he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, under the heading, Born Again to a Living Hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? Not just any old hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Listen to what he talks about in our inheritance. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it is kept in heaven for you. Friends, not only is there a common object common person, that being Christ, the gospel. There's a common hope that this isn't all there is to life. And then last but not least, I want you to see that there are common desires. 
There should be common desires for there to be harmony. That people, our, our desire should be that people will die to self and to sin. What are we talking about this morning? The Kind of the, the overarching theme is humility, is humbling ourselves. So our desire should be that people will die to self and to sin, that they will be saved. And our desire for them should be not just for them to be saved, but that people would grow in grace and truth. Because as you heard me talk about in previous messages, how often, you know, you can go out on the street and, and you can do kind of man on the street and, and street evangelism and, and you can ask somebody, where are you going when you die? And, and they're probably just going to tell you whatever you want to hear to get you to shut up and move on down the road. But at the end of the day, if they were to repeat that prayer after you, you you've left them there. With what? Uh, where's the discipleship? Where's bringing them alongside of you and helping them grow and understand and, and walk together and, and to grow and, and to study God's word together? Second Corinthians, as Paul closes out his second letter to the church at Corinth, he says what? He says, Fin uh, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. You see, friends, Christian hope, as we're talking this morning about hope, Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen and you put your trust in that promise. We're, we're to trust in the promises of God. Now, as we think this morning, as we talk about this humility, some of you may have heard this next statement, what? That humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But what's interesting is, you might have heard this, and it's often attributed to C.S. Lewis, but really and truly, just like we see today, a lot of things are attributed to people that they didn't really say. And so even on C.S. Lewis's ministry site, as he's, as he's passed on his foundation, they even say, here are some misattributions to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis didn't say this. It could have been Rick Warren. It could have been this person. But in essence, you know, just think about that. It's not thinking of yourself less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. You see, we have to put things into perspective and we need to look to Christ. So we said this morning that the first step to harmony is humility. And, and I, would, I would drive home as we look at this first chunk of verse 16, for there to be harmony, there must be humility. It's a first step, but if we're going to have harmony within the body, there must be Humility. Now, Paul goes on in this, in this second chunk of this verse that we're going to look at. What does he say? He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's define haughty. Now, some of y'all might could define it better than others. Don't any of y'all point any fingers around the room this morning. Someone you think that may be haughty. That's not what we're here to do. But what does it mean to be haughty? Here are just a few things of what it means to be haughty. It means to be conceited, self-important, exclusive, not just proud, but blatantly proud. It's an attitude of superiority. It's contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. So as we work through this text this morning, these things which are on the screen should not be evident, hear me, should not be evident in the life of a believer. The last thing that we should be is conceited, blatantly proud, have an attitude. We need to check our attitude sometimes. We should not have an attitude of superiority. 
And definitely we should not have contempt for people or things that are perceived to be inferior. You know, think about this this morning. How do we know if we're being haughty? Is there a test for haughtiness? I think quickly, I just want to encourage you that I think there are two things that we can ask ourselves. What what am I saying and thinking about others? What do I think and say about others? Am I looking down on them? The second half of this verse, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Now, I ask you this, who who do we associate with? Who who should we be associating with? You know, in essence, we're to associate with the lowly. We're to associate with the humble. As we dig within this, we see that it's also, we're, we're to give ourselves humble tasks. We're to give ourselves humble tasks. And listen, as you study, as you study, I encourage you, there's so much technology out there. There's no excuse for why we can't grow as a Christian today. I mean, we have so many tools and resources that previous generations have never had. And I read the New Living Translation version of this verse, and I was like, man, it nails it on the head. The first part is very similar to what we've already said, live in harmony with one another. But look at the the second and third half of the verse as the New Living Translation translates. I'm going to give you a second to read this for yourself. I mean, is that not, like, convicting? As you look at that, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. That gets us in trouble. That gets us in trouble. And one thing, I I don't remember where I got it from. I apologize. I do try to attribute most every source that I, I can find. This is something I read this week. A Christian who is an elitist, who only associates with people of the same intellectual or academic or professional interest is not living up to what Scripture mandates. How do you say that? How do you say that, Chris? What? Paul said what? Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the humble. Who are you associating yourself with? I see, and I could go from preaching to meddling for a minute, but far too often in our churches today, people's circles are too small. They're too inclusive. Everybody thinks and acts and does the exact same things. I don't know about you, but that gets a little boring. Sometimes, you know, you need a little heat in a conversation, amen, as you're, as you're talking and, and going through life or whatever. I mean, I'm thankful for the people that God's put in my life who don't think like me, right, who don't believe like me. Why? Because he's put me there to be a vessel of hope and encouragement to, to sprinkle salt in their lives, to, to sprinkle a little Jesus in their lives, but also he uses those people to stretch us. Paul says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly associate with the humble. The last section of this verse is what? I don't, I don't have a slide for it by itself, but what? The last half of this verse is to never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. In essence, don't be conceited. And don't overthink yourself. 
Don't overestimate yourself. See, as we think about this this morning, never be wise in your own sight. We are blinded by what we can't see and don't know. We assume the worst, and that gets us into trouble. I want to ask you this question this morning. Have you ever made any comments or a decision without knowing the whole story? Have you ever made any comments or made a decision, and then later on you learn something? It's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Y'all probably don't have this. majority of y'all in here don't have this issue. But don't text it. Don't text it. Texting information back and forth or emailing information back and forth is not the method to communicate things when, when, you're, when you don't know all the pieces of the puzzle. If I could just be really transparent for a moment, as I thought about, as you know, I preach and teach, I'm always looking for stories, for illustrations, and, and I don't like to just find preacher stories that may or may not be true, right? I, I don't know. I want stuff that I can confirm and, and uh, that I know happened. And so I thought in my own life, and you know, there was a time, and I could tell you I'd go into more detail at some other time, but for me, there was some information one Sunday where we had a family when we had our church plant, and they went and attended another church. And I'll never forget, I was at Shaw Fest, and so I just threw, I, you know, rat, rattled off a text and hit send, and it, it literally imploded that body. Right? It, it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And so I look back on that, and and, you know, I hurt feelings. I hurt people that were close to me in that. And, and so we, it busted us apart. And for a long time, for probably a year and a half or two years, I, there could be no resolution. And what was bad about it was it was my wife's cousin and her family. And so for a year and a half or two years, I couldn't get any resolution. She blocked me on Facebook. They went their separate ways. We couldn't hash it out. But, you know, a good friend of mine reminded me in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Right, And so for me, there came a time, praise God, that I got to sit man-to-man with the other husband and to work through those things. But the thing I want to remind you this morning is never be wise in your own sight. Never think, oh, I got this. No, press pause, press halt. You know, halt before you send that text, before you send that email. And, and I think as we, as we process through this text this morning, I think as we get to this never being wise in your own sight, we need to ask ourselves two questions. What am I not seeing? And what don't I know about this situation? Right? Because far too often we assume, and we assume the worst, and what does that make us? Right? What do they say about assuming? You know what they say about that. You know it all. So what am I not seeing? What don't I know about this situation? Listen, don't assume the worst, but assume the best in people. And as I was listening to, I think it was some podcast or, or talk this week, you know, I was reminded that we're to see people as they could be. We're to see people as Jesus sees them. That we're all a work in progress. We're all being refined by him. None of us are perfect. So don't just assume 
the worst, but assume the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. See people as they could be, as Jesus sees them. As we think this morning about never being wise in your own sight, Proverbs has a lot to say about that. What does Solomon say in, in Proverbs? Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 28, verse 11. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. In essence, a poor man with discernment can see right through him. So don't be wise in your own sight. We're we're to live in harmony. We're not to be haughty, and we're not to be wise in our own sight. And so that kind of leaves us to where I want to kind of wrap up this message and, and just very quickly ask the question, what does humility look like in the life of a believer? What does humility look like? Well, I think first and foremost, and I think this is in the previous message, but it keeps coming up again and again, so I'm going to share it because maybe it'll stick. Maybe it'll stick for me. Maybe it'll stick for you. But we see in Philippians, we see in Philippians chapter 2, these verses, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, what? So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by what? Being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Doesn't that sound like harmony? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but what? In humility... Count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have to ask ourselves, am I being selfish? Am I wanting it my way? What, and I wrote this in my notes, what would blank enjoy? What would, what would my wife enjoy? What would my friend enjoy? What would they like to do? Look to their interests, not just to your own. Because I believe, and you've heard me say it time and time again, that a humble person can learn from anyone. A humble person can learn from anybody. It's that attitude when you go into it. Are you seeing someone as inferior? Are you seeing them as God's creation and created in the image of God of someone that they might know something that you don't? As I began to process and, and talk about and think through humility, what it looks like in the life of a believer, I ran across a book by Andrew Murray his, in his work, Humility, the Path to Holiness. I, I just simply want to share a few things that I saw in his work this week, okay? So as we think about what does humility look like, I think Andrew Murray says it best, and he said, listen, he said, humility the place of entire dependence on God. We could, we could stop right there. It's, it's, impending, it's depending entirely on Him. Is, from the very nature of things, the first duty in the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. We're, we're to humble ourselves. He said this, Pride may die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. 
We have to die to, what's in the middle of that word pride? Is the word I. What do I want? It's not what I want, but what does the Lord want? What is his will? The psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 8, what I delight to do thy will, my Lord, is to do his will, not ours. And so we must, we must humble ourselves to seek him and to seek his will for our lives. I think it oh so not a coincidence that I keep getting led back to Jesus in Matthew's gospel where he says what? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You know this passage. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For what does he say? Listen, Jesus, I should have highlighted this yellow. What does Jesus tell us about himself? I am gentle and lowly in heart. If we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to seek after Jesus and seek for Jesus to flow through us, then we, friends, have to lean not into our own strength, not into our own understanding, not be wise in our own sight, but we must humble ourselves and what? Get that gentle and humility, that lowliness in heart from Jesus. Do you see gentleness and humbleness in the lives of the believers that are around you? Now, hey, we're all going to miss the mark, amen? I mean, come on, we're going to miss the mark. But if you miss the mark all the time, something's wrong. Have a conversation. Andrew Murray went on to say this, and I close with these words. He said, we must learn of Jesus, how he was meek and lowly of heart. He teaches us where true humility takes its rise and finds its strengths in the knowledge that it is God who works all in all, that our place is to what? Yield to him. Yield. Are you yielding to what the Lord wants to do in your life? In perfect resignation and dependence, in the full consent to be and to do nothing of ourselves. This emptying of ourselves is the life Christ came to reveal and to impart a life to God that came through death to sin and itself. So friends, this morning as we talked about humility, I think we've got to take a a self-assessment of ourselves and to ask ourselves, is there harmony? Are we living in harmony with one another, in one accord with one another? Is there haughtiness in our lives, oh, who are we associating with? Are we associating with the humble? Are we associating and finding humble tasks that we can perform? And then again, that last zinger that Paul gives us in the last half of verse 16, never, never be wise in your own sight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for this passage. Lord, thank you for Paul Thank you for the inspiration that you gave him to write these words. Father, I pray that this coming week that we would seek you. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you and allow you to just speak into our hearts and our minds, into our lives. Father, I pray when we do, Lord, that we would become more like you and less like ourselves. Father, help us as we do that to go out and to to be merciful, to be gracious, to be humble. Lord, to, to listen more than we talk. 
Lord, to, to just be vessels of hope and encouragement. And so, Father, I pray that something that was said today through your word, through this message, through your spirit into our hearts and lives, Father, I pray that we would not just brush that off, but I pray we would begin to, to process those things, that we would get before you and ask for your strength and for your wisdom and for your work in our hearts and lives. Father, we thank you and we love you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.